You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Now you know hydration is extremely important to your training. So why do you let yourself get dehydrated? Check out drinkhoist.com. They have a whole bunch of different flavors ranging from strawberry lemonade to peach mango to orange to uh, fruit punch to watermelon to grape. Fantastic. What's great is you can already you can get ready to drink, you know, bottles that are ready to go, no dye or coloring or anything like that. Or you can get little packs, uh, which are great for traveling or throwing in your rucksack. They don't take up much space. You just throw it in with some water and you're good to go. Drink Hoist is fantastic for hydration. Uh, it's got electrolytes, carbs, and fluids that'll help rehydrate your body. You can almost feel it uh, working when you're drinking it. It hydrates better than water, uh, significantly better than water. It's a uh, also clinically proven to keep you more hydrated than water. Uh, no artificial flavors or sweeteners or anything like that. And it's got three times the electrolytes than your normal, you know, your other sports drinks, we'll say, because we don't want to call anybody out. <laughs> and they also have half the sugar uh, as some of those other ones. So you're not getting uh, an insane sugar spike after drinking these things. Um, really good flavor. I use them all the time and I know the rest of the ones ready guys use them. Um, and great company. We've been working with them for better part of a year and a half now and, uh, look forward to continuing that relationship with them. So, um, go to drinkhoist.com, use the promo code ones ready. It'll get you a discount. And, you know, again, they help us. So we're helping them. And, you know, it, again, we just want to help as many people as we can. And we want to help you reach your goals, uh, which, you know, this is a company that's helping you stay hydrated and we want you hydrated so you can get the best training you possibly can get. So best of luck out there and check them out. Drinkhoist.com promo code one's ready. We're in the team room and everybody else is on the same page, except for me. Uh, we got a big one for you this week. First off, we want to talk about hoist. Hoist has electrolytes. It uh, is what plants crave. It's also what you crave post-workout. It's what you need to do. Get yourself some hoist. Use the ones ready code. Get yourself a discount. It's going to be awesome. So today, we got us all in here, and we have a guest. His name is Robert Gutierrez. I don't know if you guys have heard of him or worked with him before. Sort of a big deal. Yeah, never never heard. You know what? Never I'm heard of her. Find out. Yeah, <laughs> never heard. I'm excited to find out who this guy is. I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about it. I don't mean to assume any pronouns or anything. This is a hot start, too. Just immediately Maybe. start with bagging on our guest. That's always a good start. I'm not bagging on. I was just I was wondering if you guys knew, but man, Rob, we've got some history, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, and like, let's start with you telling uh, the, the audience a, a little bit about yourself. So, uh, <clears throat> as everybody in this team right here knows, uh, Rob Gutierrez. Um, right now, I sit as the uh, Matchcom functional manager for Combat Control, in our Air Education Training Command. I actually get to sit next to that man right there with the awesome mustache and good hair named Trent Siegmiller. Um, sit in the same office, make fun of a whole bunch of people and, uh, you know, get really good at uh, Excel and uh, Word documents and stuff like that. Um, biggest thing is we're in charge of essentially making sure the pipelines are flowing and production and doing what we got to do. Um, 
you know, by profession, you know, combat controller uh, came straight in uh, right after September 11th. I didn't get to be able to be shipped until about 2002 in March because um, uh, I'm originally from San Diego, California. So uh, understood a little bit the water from being on the beaches and, and always going out there and just uh, getting my tail kicked. Um, and then uh, decided to go right after September 11th, join um, and uh, was working as a, as a meter reader in San Diego for San Diego Gas and Electric. Um, just, it was, it was just a job, you know, kind of actually kept me in shape because when you read about that range from 400 gas and electric meters today to sometimes like 800, you're running from house to house to get it done through the streets. Um, I imagine in like a comedy sort of movie, there was a dog too, at some point that was chasing was you. House. You had to jump over a fence. Yeah. Like I can imagine that was pretty kept you on your, on your toes as it yeah. were. And depending what neighborhood you went on, you know, back then it was, uh, there was a lot of the first like real rolling blackouts. So as a meter reader, you wouldn't really like people, certain neighborhoods would be like, you know, give you a couple of death threats and like, listen, man, I only read the meter. I don't make the prices, bro. Like I just read the meter and I want to get out of here. So, um, a couple of dog chases, things like that, but that wasn't, I mean, that was the norm. So it was pretty funny. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, I, I woke up that morning and I was just like, what the heck is going on? And I decided not, there's something more to do. So I literally just called up and quit. Well, I told them I was going to go to a recruiter's office and they said, if you don't show up, you know, cause I wasn't a, I wasn't a tenured employee yet. So kind of almost like part-time and they're like, well, you give up your spot. I'm like, well, I guess I quit. So <laughs> how about that? Yeah. You can't quit me. <laughs> you can't fire me. Cause I quit get out of here. Quit. You know what I mean? So um, at that point, didn't have a job. So I went straight to the recruiter's office and was looking in a, cause originally from national city, I only say San Diego cause nobody knows national city. So um but uh went to the recruiter's office and then he was the only one bebopping in like everything else is shut down you know so this air force recruiter's walking in i'm like hey man you guys hiring and he's like we're always hiring i'm like i need a job i quit my job like literally like half an hour ago um and uh he's like all right what do you want to do and i was just like man i i want to fight you know i I just saw what was going on on tv i want to go fight and uh at the time the air force cat was like the recruiter was he was like so you want to join and fight, but you want to be in the air force. And I was like, yep. And he was like, well, I only really have like, at the time he was like, I only have two jobs. Um, Here's this pamphlet. (laughs) It's a trifold pamphlet. It's got a guy in big sand, dust and wind and the same, what is it? Sand, dust and wind goggles. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So then, he opens this pamphlet and he's just like, do you want to save people's lives? Or do you want to like land aircraft and like drop bombs? And I was like, man, I'll take any, but I'll, pre- I prefer that one. The the land aircraft and drop bombs. He's like, okay. So he's like, well, you, you physically fit. I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty fit. I work out, go to the gym, things like that. He's like, can you swim? I'm like, yeah, I can swim. You know? Um, so man, I go out literally the next day. Um, Cause I hadn't told my parents or anything like that, that I quit my job. Um, and uh, went out to this pass test on uh, on Miramar Air Base in uh, in San Diego. I go out there, man. I I do really well at the time, you know, on the calisthenics. The run was fine, um, and then I, I bombed that swim like nobody's business. 
it was like, hey, man, uh, doggy paddle, like that don't count, you know? And I was just like, what? And he's like, you got to work on this. So I was like, well, crap. So he goes, come back in three months. And then, you know, uh, we'll see. And he's like, I was like, okay. So I basically was like, well, I got no money. This and like, I don't know what to do. So I literally just went to the municipal pool. Um, and I just was like, Hey man, I need to learn how to swim more efficiently. Can you guys teach me? And they're just the lifeguards and people are like, I mean, we could teach you, right, but we can't hire you. I'm like, I don't care. I'll, I'll pick up trash. I'll do whatever. So, um, I don't know if y'all ever, you know, picked up, you know, clean bathrooms and municipal pools are gross. Um, so I did that through the trash out, did everything, cleaned the pool and in the trade, they just taught me how to swim. So I called the recruiter up because he told me he told me to wait like three months, but I went over there and then it took me about 30 days, figured it out. We literally worked on it every day, took the bus, ran to that pool. Um, and uh was like, I'm ready to go now. He's like, Okay. So we went, took the test, and I passed. He's like, You're leaving like in a week. I was like, Okay. <laughs> so that was that was it. You know what I mean? Next thing you know, I'm in the pipeline, going through everything. And then, um, I mean, I mean, at the time, you know, there was still indoc for the Jays and then combat control had already been in combat control selection course. And, uh, um, you know, we just got crushed the whole time. Um, obviously we've evolved now understanding training now to a, a way better aspect from my perspective, at least looking at it from, from the, from a position right now, um, we do understand how to, um, build guys, you know, um, with assessment and selection being up front. And then from there coaching and mentoring and training them all the way through. Um, but like before, you know, just like Aaron knows, just like peach knows, man, you got crushed the whole time, like, and on the combat control pipeline up until your last event at combat control school. Yeah. You were being judged and assessed the whole time. So, um, it, it was a good pipeline though. You know what I mean? It took a long time. You know, at the time it took what it took me like well over two years for slots. And then every once in a while you have an injury. I actually broke my, uh, broke my foot right before CCS and they kind of let me sit. And then they told me, Hey, if you don't, if you don't head out, like you're going to get reclassed. So we took that cast off and went. <laughs> well, Rob, let me, let me back up a little quick because you you kind of hit, and I do actually have a question for you, but I, I do want to capture something that you kind of articulated. Um, and it's something that, you know, the the ones ready guys have, have said numerous times, but um, like you were in decent shape. Like you, you said that you didn't really know how to swim. And we, we tell people like, hey, just because you don't know how to swim, um, you can learn, you know, whether it's through a book like Total Immersion or if it's going to your local pool, finding the old man or old woman that is just doing laps every single day, at, tapping them on the shoulder and going, hey, can you give me some pointers? Can you teach me? Or like you did with the, the um, lifeguards. And then, OK, well, maybe I can't afford to just like you couldn't, you know, because you just recently quit your job and you do something in basically what I'm getting at is like, are there really excuses? Of course there are some excuses, but like you made it happen for yourself. Like, so that whole, Hey, I'm going, 
you know, I'm going this direction because I don't know how to swim. Well, man, you must not want it that much then. Like I, I get everybody has their own thing because there are areas that just, they don't have pools and they, they just don't, or they don't have year long pools. So there are some legitimate, you know, excuses, but I mean, you went and made it happen for yourself kind of on a, on a whim. You wanted to go fight, um, which you, you certainly did that later on, <laughs> but um, like, I think that's, I think that's pretty awesome. So I, like, I didn't, I had an idea about it, but I didn't know to the extent um, that you did that in the pipeline. So what about, so now going to my question after I've done a typical chief thing and rambled. Um, I got my message out there. Now I'm ready to talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I had these talking points, right? So I had yeah. to get these talking points out, but now I'm ready to have an actual, like, now we're going to go back and forth a little bit. Well, just right? wait until I piggyback off somebody. So, and, well, it'll Gosh. behoove you to do it. So, you know, yeah. what <laughs> so what, you know, you were given two options, PJ, save people's lives, trauma medicine, high angle rescue, um, you know, search and rescue, that kind of stuff. And then you were given the CCT option, landing planes, dropping bombs. So what specifically about CCT called to you versus pararescue? Um, so it, to be honest, when I looked at the pamphlets and the, and the, uh, the recruiters essentially assessment, because at that time, you know, even then we didn't, they didn't really know much. The recruiters didn't really know much. They're just like, these guys, you know, are going to be in the fight and these guys are going to be rescuing people that need help. And I just looked at it differently. And I was just like, well, you know, um, I kind of just want to go fight because I'm angry. And he also told me, he's like, also they have, you know, they're all air traffic control certified. He's like, you could get a job working for the FAA when you get out. And I was like, huh, that's not bad. Cause uh, you know, when you, being from where I'm from in San Diego, like if you go downtown, the airport's right there off the coast and you can just see all airplanes landing over and over and over and over again. And you're like, who actually talks to those, those planes and just lands them? You know what I mean? And then I did a little research. Um, and, uh, I mean, cause the interwebs wasn't, wasn't super fast at that time. Um, but did a little research and I was like, Oh, look at that. The FA is, that's pretty good. Um, I can get a job right after, you know what I mean? Um, because I, I was I was 21 years old. I had already graduated high school, done a couple of jobs, and was just like searching for, like looking for that path. Because where I was at wasn't wasn't making out anything, um, and it wasn't exciting. Like yeah, getting chased by dogs and like you know, <laughs> being on top of trash cans while pit bulls are trying to come at you, and they only give you a piece of spray a mace and a, and a ball they give you this uh this stick with a ball and your only savior is you can stick the ball in the in the mouth of the dog and they call is it that a real thing yeah <laughs> get out of here i don't believe this this is like two truths and a lie no. he, he got on here and <laughs> he's like all right i'm gonna tell one story that's ridiculous no I swear to you man um that um what else uh, uh people throwing bricks at your truck because you're because yeah so, I mean, obviously they weren't the best, they weren't gated neighborhoods. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. Down on exactly. Chula Vista. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Goot, like, you know, other than the fact that you're like good looking and experienced and an actual warrior, you and I have like a very, very close story, right? Like other than the fact that you're good at your job and people like you uh, tend, tend to, um, other than that fact, like you, you're, you're, my story is really, really close. I spent a couple of years bouncing around Ohio and got in right after September 11th, same sort of thing. The only thing with me is that I was a swimmer. 
So that three month delay that you had, I didn't have, I, I, I literally, they were like, can you swim? And I was like, yeah, 100%. I can knock this out. I was a 500 swimmer in high school. And then that was my, that was the difference in our three months. Cause I was in basic three months ahead of you. I showed up in January. So you showed mm -hmm. up in March and we were around the same spaces, which is again, where the similarities end because you went on to have a, an amazing career, but I want to talk about the, uh, the pipeline, you know, I, you said something that resonated with me a lot and the, and it was the in-doc model and how, how the pipeline was back then. I think it'd be awesome for the listeners to hear you talk about exactly what the pipeline was. They've heard me complain about it, but maybe coming from somebody else, they'll realize it wasn't just me being soft. It was really the environment we were living in because it really was, you woke up in the morning and you got your first face punch and then you, uh, you made it to lunch and you got punched in the face again. And then you trained until the end of the day. And if you could, if you could do that for, you know, 10 straight weeks, poof, you're an operator. What was it like for you? Um, kind of like the same thing, right? So the only thing for us is sitting on the other side because we would we would watch, you know, from the combat control side um, at the selection course there, you know what I mean? Um, at the time, I believe it was like 15 days and it was just a beating every day, right? And, and it was essentially like, how many guys can we make quit? Like how many we can get to quit today? Um, and, uh, you know, you, you just, you, you gut through it, you, you figure it out. You, um, you know, where you essentially work with your individuals. Cause I had some pretty awesome dudes, um, in, uh, in my combat control selection class and, um, you just gutted it out. Like every day was a consistent beating of some sort, you know, always wake up in the morning. And for us, it was starting with the run, you know what I mean? It didn't matter what how cold it was, how hot it was. It didn't matter. You were running, right? Two groups. And depending how fast you were, they put you in the groups or whatever the case. Right. And Shout them. out to all my slow group homies out there. What's <laughs> up slow group. What's up B group runners. No big deal. Yeah. You guys are doing great. You can, you can pass too. Yeah. And uh, cause I wasn't a fast runner. I, I became one. And that was only through the, through the process. Cause combat control selection. Then once you made it that you, you either went to air traffic or you went to, you got lucky, you went to jump school. Um, by the luck of the whim, I got to go to jump school. Right. And then you really truly realized how good we had it going and not being in the army, uh, being at Fort Benning, just going, you know, as an, basically an A1C sitting there with all these army cats and you're only with, you know, eight of your own air force members. And then you're just like, dude, I don't want to be in the army. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I have three little brothers in the army. I think I've said this a bunch. No, no offense to anybody in the army, but just pass. I just don't want to do it. I'm yeah. out of here. And those dorms, I'm relatively sure that's where the coronavirus started. It was either in the Skylark pool in San Antonio, Texas, or it was in those dorms at Benning because those things have been around since like Curahee. Those things are <laughs> outstanding. I didn't, I didn't actually know anything about black mold until I looked at, we were just like, Wow, that's that like yeah, the walls. You know that's what I mean? Like granddaddy black mold too. That's the real yeah. black mold, for real. So then after that, I came back, and then um, it was you know they're like, hey, you're going to traffic, and you know it was a preparation, right? So no matter what phase you were in, you know, you were still training with everyone else. So and even though you you had made it through that initial piece, you didn't get they didn't cut you any slack. They just expected more from you. They wanted you to be faster. They wanted to be stronger than them. You still got to do it with them too, but you're just not being observed the same way as they were. And then you're just preparing and boom, next, you know, shipping off to a uh, air traffic. 
which was at the time Keesler. Um, and, and that place was a monster. Um, you know, you, I was probably in the best physical shape of my life at the time when I left Keesler um, due to their workout program and regimen. And then understanding your traffic and, and getting through it. And it was just, you know, consistently, you know, train, eat, school, you know, study, sleep, same thing, repetitive. Um, and, uh, you know, really a, in my group that I had, everybody was super competitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, running a, a sub, you know, 18 minute, three mile was the goal for everybody. Um, and you didn't care how you did it. You just, you just train, even if you had to run on the weekends when you should be resting, um, you know, that's what you did. And then came back and then, um, you know, got to go to see her and stuff like that. And then went to, you know, um, came back to Lackland and busted my foot, waited, and then finally got into CCS and man, that was a rough one. So, right. Um, and CCS, it, it- it was funny the way the pipeline was for you guys back in the day, because you always had the next school, every instructor at that school is like, well, you, you didn't have it as hard as me. Uh, well, you didn't have it as hard as me. And it led to this like constant, I don't want to say gatekeeping, or I don't want to use these business words that we're supposed to use to describe it. But it really did lead to an environment where they got you at the next school and they're like, oh, well, you haven't seen anything yet. And mm-hmm. for you guys, that that ended at CCS, but it really didn't. Like you guys got your beret and then, you know, you're one of the dudes that got your beret and then went to free fall and dive afterwards. Right. 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 Even then, even then those guys were getting tuned up. Like, you know, a combat control instructor at free fall school would pull you aside and be like, Hey man, you may have your beret, but you're not free fall qualified yet. So we're going to go for a run. Like I I never understood it. It was just a culture for you guys at the time. What was it like when you, uh, when you did graduate CCS, we always ask because everybody remembers when they blouse their boots and get their beret for the first time. So what was it like for you? So, um, you know, like I said previously, I was kind of lost. Like I was just lost in life. Like, what am I going to do? And it was, uh, you know, growing up, I, I had a lot of, I mean, I had a pretty good life. Um, you know, both my parents worked hard. The good thing is that, um, you know, my mom and pops basically told me, you just, if you start something, you finish it. It's real simple. Um, and it was, it was, you were viewed, um, not, I wouldn't say weekly, but just like, you know, the whole parents like, I'm disappointed in you if you quit. So going through a whole pipeline, I was just like, I can't go home or have the, I don't have it in me to call my parents and tell them, man, I quit. That conversation is terrifying, right? Like it's one of those things you wish you could put your feeling in someone else's head. So you didn't have to explain it to him, but the dread of having like the dread of that realization where you have to call and tell somebody, Hey, I failed. Like, cause I got rolled back out of the, out of my second in class. Like I distinctly remember a phone call that I had to be like, man, I, I thought that I was going to be able to do this thing. I might not. I've only got one more shot at it. You know, I'm cross training the dread of that phone call. I think people really need to think about, you know, in the moment when they think about things that matter to them, that's something that can help you walk away from that quitting feeling yeah. is because when you have to own up and you have to be honest and, and be accountable, that sucks. Like that's a, that, that fear of failure. You know, I, I think uh, Colonel Black, when she was on, she said, you know, I, I have a fear of failure. You know, I fear regret. Like that's, that's amazing. That's a, that's a really good, uh, you know, story from a guy like you. Cause you, you can't turn around. Like there's no turning back, you know? Um, and it, it, it also validates like your, your reason, your why. And that was just, you know, I had, um, I had two younger brothers. 
And uh, I had always been relatively decent at sports and things like that and older brother and, and running around. And I just didn't have it in me to, to be able to call them and, and, or, or my dad, you know, being able to go, Hey, your brother quit. You know what I mean? Don't be a quitter like your brother, you know, you better do something better. You know um, I just didn't have it in me. So I just, I didn't care what, what they did, how far, how, how hard I just was like, I can't, I can't put myself to it. And there's, there's no turning back. I, I have to finish. So when I did graduate, um, uh, combat control school, they actually showed up, um, they flew in and stuff like that, which was a big deal. And it was a big deal for me. It was the first major accomplishment in my life that actually meant something, but that, uh, that essentially I was accepted into something that, or an organization or, or a brotherhood or something that just, you know, because if you look at it, what there's right now, there's like 30, 32.7 million veterans in the United States. And in the Air Force itself, it's total end strength of what, 347 or whatever the case, we're lower, we're less than 1%. Um, and to say that you're that 0.003% that actually did something was a huge in, internal uh, accomplishment to me. Um, and I was super proud. Uh, and then essentially, like my parents seen it going, oh, it worked out. We just, we beat him enough that he just, uh, like, he's going to be okay. He's not going to no, go to jail. He's, he's doing great. Out. It turns out he's fine. Yeah. He'll be all right. You know? Um, so yeah, that's it really is what it felt like. Cause my brothers were there and that was a big deal to me too. You know, cause you got to yeah, sit that you, you, you really do. And and people make mistakes or whatever the case, but you got, you still have to set the example. So, um, and, and it was just an example I was trying to set. I don't know how hard that is to explain to people. Cause I think we've talked about it ad nauseum on here. You know, you got your name on your chest and you're, you're representing your family uh, within the air force and that, that pressure, if you don't feel that pressure, like I, I have a hard time uh, relating to people that don't have that, you know, that, that pressure to, to do those things. And it's, it's funny though, when you talk about your family, cause I remember, you, you know, you talk to some of your family members and to then it's almost like a foregone conclusion sometimes that you would do what you did, you know, and they show for some of those events. And they're like, yeah, of course you did. Like, that's my, that's my boy. And you're like, bro, I came real close to not being here a lot of times. <laughs> boy, a couple of times. I came real close to that phone call a couple of times. So I'm just glad that I'm going to keep that one to myself. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. So that's really what I plan about for me. You know what I mean? And then going on to STTS or at the time, actually, um, AST. So yeah, out of trailers. We're, we're hanging out. So, yeah. And, and that's when you get your, your, all your top off training and your free fall and your dive and all that stuff. And I'm not sure uh, how much time we want to spend on training. Cause I want to, I want to jump into kind of past AST into the operational side of the house. Um, so like, can you, can you kind of break down your, your operational experience on team? What was that like? And uh, some of the things that, that you went through. So, um, man, I can't tell you, you know, how lucky I was. So um, my first operational unit, you know, um, was down in, 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 uh, in England at the uh, 321st STS at a Milden Hall. And, uh, you know, at the time, everybody wanted to go to the 2-3 or, you know, you go here and there and they're just like, eh, no one really knew much about Milden Hall. So when the list was out, they're like, hey, where do you want to go? I was like, man, I'll go to England. I'll try that. You know what I mean? Um, 
they're like, well, we don't know if we're, they're going to be accepting brand new guys. And I'm like, well, put my name in, you know what I mean? At the time, um, I think it was a you got a good old Eddie Howard down there. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, go for it. You know, so I put in for it. And then, man, I showed up, you know, off the rotator. And uh, man, it was just a, a, a blessing because I, I had some solid dudes there. And, you know, even though it was it was me and another cat. Um, and we'll just call them mole, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, guys like peach guys, like SI guys, like, um, bags, um, man, those guys legitimately took us under the wing. Um, uh, my buddy, Nick, um, and even though sometimes you always felt like you weren't good enough, it was never, the intention was never to make you feel that way. It was to, they understood what we were doing how many guys were rolling out of theater and who needed to get trained. And, uh, um, cause they had a lot of experience and they already knew what it was like. And, and, and they put their heart and soul into training us. Um, uh, some of it was, um, was really good. Some of it was just boring, but it was, you had to get it done. Right. Um, and man, it, it was, it was a good, it was good stuff. Um, you know, because you're young, you're making mistakes here and there. Sometimes you pay for them, but it's a life, it's trial and error learning lesson. Um, I mean, you can do a lot of stuff. Um, you can show up to, you can show up to a foreign country and carry a knife and stuff like that when it's illegal as heck and get held up with your super, with your brand new supervisor and stuff like that. Um, just making mistakes, you know what I mean? And then, you know, pay the man, but, uh, but you learn to pay the man and, and, and you get better and, um, and uh, it was a continuous, like it was a steep learning curve too, um, because it, in my opinion, when I even when I look back now, um, that being the first unit I had, there was a very very high set standard and expectation of of if they sent you down range, man, you had to hold you had to hold the standard, um, you had to be really good at what you did because your predecessors before you that you were replacing never let anybody down, and uh, you had to perform you know um and 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 that was and that was fun you know what i mean um because you know when, when my first trip when i got to go you know and actually i ran into trent hanging out when i got off and he was sitting on a quad outside of the fire base and i get off this 47 like looking around like huh, this place looks craptastic we're surrounded by mountains in the middle of a valley Oh boy, you know, trying to do a map study before I showed up and stuff yeah, like that. Best possible scenario. You you sitting in, on the low ground, the high ground can see you. It was that's where secure. you sleep. Yeah, super secure. No, it sounds great. Yeah. And I was just like, I looked up in the middle of the night. I was like, oh, and then I see Trent. He's like waving me over. I'm like, hey, what's up, buddy? He's like, hey, you goot. And I'm like, yep. He's like, we got to come in. Let's get out of here. Um, and then, uh, you know, everything started. Getting, I just yeah. picture he hot you. Did you hop on the quad and like ride like behind him, or was it more of an in front <laughs> no. of it? I don't know why, but this is the no, like. Trent left me. He just <laughs> he was like, follow me. Walk nerd. I'm back dragging. Nah, <laughs> I think I took your man. Let me guess. Like, truth, truth comes out. <laughs> combat controllers show up with so much kit; it's ridiculous that they can't drag it all off the airfield. So and I love that you're like he showed up with so much kit. I had to take my motorized vehicle and get away while he drug his bags through the rocks. <laughs> that I'm sure, like I don't know where we get all this gravel to make these dumb fobs, but I guarantee that it was just all small, like golf ball sized pebbles, and you're just dragging a roller bag through there, making a track like a new guy. Good job. Oh. 
Good job, Trent. Way to hook the new guy up. Before I left, before I left for that rotation, actually, I basically brought like a million things. And guys like um, uh, uh, SI, um, a friend of of Peach and myself, um, went through my stuff. And another guy named uh, Seth, we'll just call him Seth. And uh, they went through my stuff and they're like, you don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. This is stupid. Why are you going to come in this? What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. And I went from like 10 bags to like four, just gigantic four bags of, in a box. And I'm just like. It was, it was on the packing list, bro. That's why I brought it. Okay, well, the packing yeah, list is stupid. So, um, yeah. And then uh, literally, I mean, that was a that was a, a relatively calm area. But when you did get into it, it was ugly, like ugly, you know, driving up, um, uh, driving up the only route up to the last U S checkpoint known as checkpoint Delta, um, and being on the Pakistan border and stuff like that. Um, always just looking at the high ground. Cause you're like, I can't even see wh- where they would shoot me from, like where they're going to attack from It's just covered in mountains and trees. And you're just like rocks and crevices. And you're like, this is the worst case scenario, and we're 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 really screwed if uh if it gets down, um you know that was a that was a good eye opener. But you know two things came out of that really was um a when it came down to it, um and when it got real, um and when I say real like you get in a V size ambush and you're getting cut off and you got you got your ground force commander shot he's wounded he's shot in the neck. Um, you got a teammate who's in the middle of an open field uh, who, who basically charged a gun, two gun nests by himself, telling everyone to break contact. And you're getting shot basically from a 270. Dude's on the high ground. Your your only your only uh, um, support is across the Konar River from the high ground, and you're stuck in the V size ambush, and they can't even help you because you're in the middle of their gun line, um, and they're trying to do their best off their 50s and Mark Mark 47s and Mark 19s to help you out, but you know they're not going to shoot because. They, they don't know where you're they can, it's hard to tell where you're at um and uh and next thing you know you know everything every single thing that you have been training for all comes into play like there is a calm that happens and you just start going to work right and you start finding work um and being the only um controller attached to them you know uh, and being in the predicament i was um you know i had an option I could have went left or I could have went to the north to help out Bob, um, the ground force commander. But I knew where we were at in the line formation that, you know, it was a distance. But then I'm essentially running away from the fight a little bit because he's the farthest point. And then you got a friend screaming for help um, in the middle of a field because he's been shot through both armpits, basically. Um, And, man, I just I rolled my buddy Javier and we went running towards him and try to get him out and try to take care of him but i mean unfortunately he passed right then and there but um you know that was it was a realization of for me of like war like like man it just got super real like a good friend of mine just got killed and i wasn't gonna let i wasn't gonna let his his death be in vain and it's just like a light switch like went off and all the times where i was at the the bombing ranges like um, working where I always thought about the scenarios that my JTAC instructors and C's put me in, especially where we were at going to some of the places we went to. 
um, whether it be at Nellis um, with the weapon school cast we we're dealing with, um, and the the uh, the amounts of advanced like tactics and procedures and what you were expected to learn like quick and get online and get it and make it happen and be quick with the radio and and uh, and, and innovate essentially, um, and then debrief and all this other stuff and the amount of pressure they put on us, you know, during it, it wasn't for, for, for nothing. It was all because they had already known. Um, and then previously, like just hearing some of the stories um, when they would come back from rotation and talking about who, what coalition partner they were with or what ODA were with, or, you know, what scenario they were with, you know, helping out Canadians and stuff like that. were just getting smashed and what they were doing and then reading sit reps every day going, damn, these dudes were just getting it. Like reading the sit reps going, a guy that was in the team room literally three months ago, I'm just reading how he just wrecked basically 200 dudes with, you know, a by GBU 12s, you know, you just see 30 mic, mic, 25 mic, mic, 20 mic, mic, just runs artillery, all this, this stuff. And you're like, damn, these guys are getting it right. And then uh, it motivates you to, to, and, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm like this one monger. Cause I'm not, um, but it motivates you to be like, man, when I get there and if I get put in a situation, I'm going to wreck house. I am going to just, you know, a term I learned a long time ago. <laughs> he was uh, a guy named Nick came back and he was like, man, I was slaying the scunion. Right. And uh, I was just like, what does that mean? He was just like, you'll learn. scunion. <laughs> you'll learn, young buck. You'll learn what the scunion is. If I have to explain to you what the scunion is, you've never laid the scunion. So. You know, being put in that scenario, I was just like, everything had clicked. And at that point, you know, in the scenario I was at, basically, you know, I got a, I got a dead teammate. Um, I got multiple um, combatants basically coming at us from two crawling at us. I got my buddy Hobbs has been shot in the back plate. I'm trying to defend him. And then I, and I got A-10s overhead and I got a predator that's just dropping IR um, markers everywhere. When when you start seeing it in real life under nods, and you know, I'm telling him to give me a mark, and he's just basically hitting all these spots, and I'm like, we are screwed. Like I am, I'm super effed if I don't do something. It's the was whole it, mountainside. They're just yeah. lining up the whole mountainside. Good. Was crazy. this well, the, I mean, was this the operation that you were actually shot in as well, or no. is it a different one? It's a different one. This was in- <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Um, what? <laughs> whatever <laughs> but um I, I i i still have the backpack where i kept my 117 and and actually peach you showed me this green little backpack this european one and i didn't notice it till i got back i had like three bullet holes in it and i'm like damn <laughs> but it still worked you know um but uh yeah i mean just went to work and just started working working the cast and you know when your first real strike is a danger close 30 mic mic high angle straight from an A10 at 45 meters, man, it sh- it shocks you. You know what I mean? That's close. I mean, we there's a you know, we talk about danger close, but oh, yeah. 35 meters, that's that's spicy. It was. And and we're I'm doing strafe after strafe just to break con- like to break contact and give us a break. Um and then, um, you know, having to make a decision to, you know, start trying to stay in there and trying to drag, um, uh, cause he's a good friend of mine. Like I said, it's, a um, who passed away, um, Robert James Miller. And, and he was posthumously awarded the medal of honor. 
Um, and uh, he was the first SF um, Special Forces Green Beret in Afghanistan to be awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, but when we were trying to collect his 249 saw and he's completely blacked on ammo, he has no frags, he has nothing left. And he did it all. Like we're trying to drag his body, but we're just getting crushed. Um, at the time I refused to leave and, and I was like, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to basically, um, man, this is going to be like an Alamo. We're going to hold it here. Um, and, and, and being a young, a, a young airman at the time, like, no, I'm going to stay and fight, but I got a, a seasoned, you know, um, special forces green beret with me, Hav, And he's just like, if you're dead, we're screwed. So we're going to break contact and we're going to move to that terrace over there. And he pointed it out. And he's like, I'm going to move first and give you cover. So when he maneuvered, I threw some rounds down to, to cover him. And we're trying to drag Robbie's body. But it was just a just a high volume amount that I was just like, man, he's right. Because at that point, there was no other JTAC other than that, the firebase that knew what was going on. Um, and we had called for a QRF, a QRF that refused to come up. Um, from the conventional side, they said it was too hot that they would sustain probably too many IED strikes and they weren't going to come. And we're just, man, the, the term, no one's coming to save you. Like no one's going to come help you. So with that being said, I, I, I broke contact. And then, you know, um, after I think it was like about four or five gun runs, um, you know, just starting to get to work. Um, you know, one thing that that essentially always come back to me is how, you know, we always got really used to digital digital items, digital GPSs, daggers, plurfs, all this other stuff, whatever the case. And I remember, you know, um, uh, when I first got my initial JTAC evaluation from a guy named Johnny Beals. <laughs> uh, Johnny Beals took all my digital stuff away from me, everything. And he said, you have a map and compass, work it. And good thing I got really fine-tuned with it because none of my digital equipment, I, so I was getting spoofed. I was literally, you know, two, less than 2K from the Pakistani border. We were getting spoofed all day long. None of my stuff worked. And, you know, when you're using a rangefinder that you know that you just calibrated uh, three hours ago on that from that elevation, and you know that that distance is probably about 100 meters, but it's telling you 622, something's wrong. So I just basically ditched it in my bag and went to map and compass and working some strike eagles. And uh, the first strike was at 75 meters at a 500 pound JDAM just to shut them up um, and then kind of hold until, you know, because we knew they were going to try to go grab Robbie's body. So um and just holding them off until a CCP was built for the other guys that were wounded and then consistently working and breaking contact to get back. And then eventually uh, we had some friendly uh, um, assets that came to help us out with a 50 man force and basically push and fight the whole way. And, you know, you know, that op started like at 9 PM. I mean, we didn't get back to Naray where we were at until about four o'clock the next day I ran through probably four sets of 5590s, three embitter batteries, you know, consistently, um, you know, to, to the point using artillery, everything we have, and it all just comes to play, you know? Um, and, and I mean, we, we did it. We at a high cost, obviously when you lose one guy, um, it's a high cost. Um, 
but I mean, we got it. We got what we needed to get done. Um, and then uh, uh, from that point on, it was um, it was refreshing to know that everything that I had done at that point was not in vain or was for a very specific reason. And I was just super thankful that I had um, like the NCOs that that taught me and that were just really hard because like our buddy Seth gave zero, zero, zero Fs. <laughs> Still doesn't. Still doesn't. <laughs> And you either performed or not, and he was on you about it, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, just a whole bunch of other dudes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's tons of ex- uh, experience there too, like, you know, going back to OEF and then going to to like Africa and stuff like that and doing um, the real bread and butter of, of our career field and um, surveys and figuring all that stuff out and then being able to do that and prepare because, you know, we just never know where we're going to fight. We, we never know. Um, and it's a good thing because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on all around the world and you have combat controllers that are out there preparing the operational environment to, to bring in the world's, you know, largest fighting force, you know, that at least the most experienced one out there. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And once that troops in contact goes up, isn't that an amazing feeling? Not the oh, yeah. fact that your troops in contact, but you troops in contact goes to the radio and everything, you know, you're the guy on the ground, everything just starts happening and things start showing up. People start calling you on the radio. They already know your call side. They already know your frequency. They have an idea like, okay, you guys are in some trouble. Like what's up? And everybody's just mentality flips. And it's, what do we got to do to get you guys out? Like, what do we got to do to take it to the enemy and get you guys out? And it's, it's a great feeling. Oh yeah. The, uh, the initial troops in contact, you know, um, call it just like everyone, every air asset and everything out there is at your disposal now. Like you, you have the keys to the kingdom and, and it's only one person with a technical expertise that could just straight destroy everything if necessary. Um, you know, cause it was not only like strike Eagles, but I had, you know, B ones that were checking in everybody. I mean, I had different, you know, <laughs> Those aircraft, like, and I was using them as a relay to say, "Hey, here's my here's my situation update. I know these guys are coming. Pass it to them, and switching from a sat frequency to your other common air ground, working helicopters, Apaches, you know, medevacs, it all in one piece. Um, and it, it's just you, you know, you're the man. And everybody, no matter what rank you are, everybody's looking at you. They're looking at you to do your job and to do it well because they can't." I think, perform. Yeah. And, and I'm not against like, there's, there's, there's some good JTACs in the army. There's some good JTACs in the Navy. Um, um, but being in the air force and I mean, this is what we do. So, you know, a lot of them like to hand that duty off. they will be like, no, that's you. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right. Like I got this, you know what I mean? Like, this is what we do for a living. Like, let us be the SME and let us do this. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're, you just, everyone's looking at you to do your job and, and to do it well, because they know what's at stake. They, they, they literally know what's at stake. Um, and then you become like that, 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 uh, that protective asset, you know, there was plenty of times in different other places too, where, you know, being the back of the gun truck and, and shooting and trying to use as a mark and things like that. And they're just like, why are you standing? I'm like, Oh, I need a vantage point. And they're just like, you know, okay, well, Hey, shift and maneuver a truck to kind of give you defilate so you can do your job. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I, why are you doing this? Like, cause you're the only one. Like you're the only one with the wand, 
So, <laughs> uh, but uh, so what it can come down to is, um, you know, there, there, there's some, there's some other stuff out there too, but uh, I'll leave that for another day. Um, but um, uh, well, he's already alluding to a part two already. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that, that's how you, that's how you do it. Like I, I do want to pause here real quick. Cause I don't think people quite grasp because it's just the way that you lay it out and it's just how you are i've known i've known you for a long time and i know how you tell stories you're, you're no good at it coot. so <laughs> I, it's, it's very bad when you berate your guests as a podcast host but i'm gonna do it so just so people are tracking here you go out you're on a mission where the medal of honor was awarded you get out of that luckily peach has kind of alluded to it can you tell us about the one where you got shot because that's that's a pretty big deal. That's where your silver star mission came from. And I know you don't like putting yourself out there, but I'll do it for you. I've already made fun of you and berated you. I might as well also embarrass you uh, on this, you know, nationwide podcast we have, but I I mean, I want to talk about, I want to talk about mental fortitude. I want to talk about kind of the lessons that you've learned that have informed you, but that's a, that's a big lesson that you learned there. And I think it was more for your mental attitude and you know, what, what does never quit look like? It looks like getting shot and realizing you still have a job to do. And yeah. we can't, we, we can't put people in, fi- in dire physical consequences, you know, during the pipeline, but the pipeline prepared you for that. Can you, can you kind of just, you know, first of all, we'd love to hear the story, um, mm-hmm. you know, from you, cause it's an awesome story. We want to get it out there, but you know, can you, can you tell us how that's that story, like, you know, your pipeline and, you know, trying to get under those 18 minute runs at Keesler and, and trying to figure out how to swim in three months just to get in. That sounds like, you know, mental fortitude, you know, all over, you know, one of those, one of those attributes that we look for. So first of all, let's, let's just hear the story. Like, how'd you get shot? So, um, man, so, uh, it was in October of, uh, 2000, uh, 2009. Um, I was out, uh, I left early cause at the time, um, my, uh, my daughter was, was still in the womb and I wanted to, I wanted to leave early for a deployment that way I can get home for the birth. And, uh, luckily, um, a, a spot popped up and I was at the, um, at the mighty two, one STS at a Pope. And there's like, Hey, can you leave? I'm like hundred percent. Like I'm ready to go now. So got to go. And then, uh, I showed up down at Bagram and they're just like, Hey man, we're going to send you out to this new place that we're going to, they're going to build in the Northwest. Um, kind of west and it's we don't know like it's just an unknown area um so they're like it's either gonna be really good or really boring i was like man whatever like hey we'll find something right um so i was fortunate to be with these with these uh uh seven special forces group um with an oda 7324 and uh um literally you know you know, when you network in the air force and you know, people, right. So literally was went to, went to their camp, linked up with them. And they're like, we're trying to get to this one spot. I'm like, Oh, okay. So call turns out one of my buddies from Herbert field, he's like, Oh, we're flying that way. I'm like, can we hit your ride? And I'm like, yeah. And next thing you know, I'm like saving the day, right. Putting everything, putting our <laughs> stuff on my buddies. And they're just like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm in the air force, man. We have these planes. You just, you just call people and, and yeah. then the planes are there and yeah. you just put stuff on the planes. It's yeah. pretty simple actually. You guys can't do that in the army. <laughs> you, guys don't, you guys don't have planes. Weird. <laughs> so we get in the theater and we start like trying to get to work. Right. We're, we're looking for a home. Basically we're like these nomads. And uh, we went out and um, uh, to this place called Kuali Na and uh, went up there. There was a larger ISAF presence. And the minute we got into, 
into the area. They were just like, we don't want you guys here. The coalition guys were like, this is a, this is a very um, more of a reconstruction, like uh, provincial um, team, you know, so they're trying to build and they're not offensive, you know, but we know the Taliban is there. We know where they're at and we know what's going on. And we're just like, we're here. And they're just like, "Mm -mm." we know if you guys show up with all your stuff, mm -mm, it's going to be ugly. Like they just, they weren't there to, to fight. They were there to rebuild and more of the hearts and minds type of thing. And we're like, not us. We're not here for that. Um, so we get the boot and come back uh, to Camp Stone. And they're like, well, we got to find work, right? Well, east of Herat, uh, Herat City, there's tons of work. So we just go to work. Like we start going out there and, you know, just finding work, man, and just getting after it. So it was about seven days of, of consistent work. And uh, it was pretty good. And we get back after the seventh day and, you know, just like anything else, man, you know, and you learn this in the pipeline, you learn this in training, you know, your priorities of work, right? So it was always like team, team trucks, team weapons, like everything, reload of fuel, everything, all this other stuff, right? Then after that, you know, look at your teammates and you're like, what do you need, man? Like, what do you need help with? And things like that. You help your teammates and then you work on your kit, you work on all your kit. And then once you get that all set and you do a couple of dry runs with your stuff and you work on everything first. And then after that, you're like, okay, now I need some food and water. And the last thing you get is sleep. Like sleep is just, I mean, you'll get enough sleep when you're dead. Um, so, and so we had basically done that. Like it was a huge thing to them was the priorities of work. And we made sure everything was good. And we we're all literally just going to go rack out. Cause we'd been gone for seven days straight and it was pretty fun. Um, and uh um yeah we get back to the hooch and like i'm literally at that time like exhausted and i'm like dude i'm just i'm gonna lay on this because we had a bivouac like pseudo tent and um and i just had my cot with all my stuff and you know the standard place where you put your kit and like before i lay down i was like okay my rifle's good radios are good like all my crypto is still good like doing my checks looking at my book and everything i had all right everything's good i literally just lay down for like i don't know five minutes. And then it was just a get up. We got to go. And I was just like, damn, you gotta be kidding me. You know what I mean? Just lay down. I just, just gotta, I got these silky shorts on. I might even like, <laughs> come on, man. Right. So then go to the, we go to the talk and they're just like, well, some came up. We're going to look after that. We're going to go after this dude. And I was sitting there watching the, the, uh, the ISR feed and we see this cat walking and he's probably about from our fire base. He's probably about 10 clicks. Um, about 10 clicks to the north um and we knew the area because the area um was a uh, known as um a town called Shiwashan. and uh we had just like three days ago we we're in that area just getting after it right um and there's this target here had basically popped up and they had been looking for him for about mm, six years and he just popped up and he was walking with his uh with his security element and walking through the streets and like, we knew it was him, like, and like, okay, we're gonna go get him. So um, this was probably like around 4 p.m. And then uh, like, all right, so, and I literally start going to my fires guy and say, hey, I want this, 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 I want this. And my big thing at the time was long loading capability, you know, um, ISR, guns, rockets, um, and, uh, and uh, targeting capability, right? Um, always asking for ISR, no matter what, manned, but armed. 
Um, now, granted, being that far west and north, you know, in the what's called the the, the air tasking order, um, which Peach and other other guys are familiar with, like that's a long flight. It's not like a it's it's seventy five minutes from a tanker, so you're not. I wasn't going to get anything right away that wasn't already scheduled. So we put in for it and said, "Hey, we're rolling out." So we go out, we grab a partner force, which is only like twelve dudes that we had just been training who weren't that really good, to be honest, um, and uh, start doing the real quick sand table and start walking over everything and, you know, doing our, our rock drills because rock drills are important and where we're going to go. And I had already a, a route scheduled, you know, mapped grids, everything, sent all my stuff out. And I was like, well, they're like, hey, we got anything coming in. I'm like, mm, we'll find out. Maybe. All I know is, what's sure. that? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Why did you why did you respond with a, a question mark at the end of that one? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Well, I told them because they were like they're like, well, are we gonna get anything? And I was just like, I, don't know. I was like, uh, we're not mm. I put in for X cast and man, and then you just woke me up five minutes ago, bro. I don't know what's going on. And the, the warrant look looked at looked at somebody else on the team and he's like, We don't even need it. He's like, We got guns too. And I was like, he's right, we do. We got a lot of guns. And and everyone here wants to shoot. Like, oh, well, it's really helpful if we have it. I'm like, man, I don't think we're we're not going to get in there without it. So, you know, we'll make a decision. And the ground force commander, too, at the time, Ryan, he really he was going to make a decision at that point anyways. Um, so, man, we roll out and we go about three clicks outside the wire. And one thing we were going to do is that in that area, literally like two weeks before, we QRF'd a, a MARSOC element that could just got crushed and we understanding their mistakes um we took that as like we're not driving in that area the walls are super tall the roads are really thin and there's really when you get if you, there's a lot of command ieds in there so if you get hit you are screwed like it is hard to get out and uh unfortunately those guys took serious casualties i mean to a point where a whole like half a commando kandak three odas went into qrf them just to get them out um, and and retrieve a a, a U.S. citizen, um, which uh, which took a while. So we we're just like we knew that area, and we're like, mm, we ain't driving. That's just waiting for it, you know. So we did a what's called a video. We did a vehicle drop off, and then on foot. And um, you know, this is also too like where the training kind of kicks in when you know when you're on a road march and you're like sucking, and you're like, dude, this sucks, right? And your feet are in sand or whatever, you know what I mean? And you're just like, dude, I'm tired, right? But you don't know what you're going to run into. And some of those areas that we that we actually, from the video, we walked with just straight sand, like just desert sand before the mountain. It's like two feet of soft sand. You're just like, dude, this sucks. And we're on a time schedule, man. Like we're moving. So I got all my kit, and we're all we're we're moving as fast as we can because. One thing that they had was a really good early warning network system in that town. And we were trying to offset them and come off from the West and then come in, come in at a 45 degree one entrance. And once we got to that main road, we were just going to run it like just straight run. Um, Cause at that time, high loom, which really isn't your friend when you got nods, cause that means they can see you. Um, so using the cover of darkness and speed was really our, our best bet if we wanted to get him. So 
we're, we're, we're walking and, and I'm, I'm moving out and I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. Next thing you know, boom, here we go. I got an ISR piece checking in. And I'm like, first of all, are you armed? And he's like, yep, I'm armed. I'm like, all right, sweet. Hey, um, you got all the products. Yep. I got the products. I'm like, all right. I want, I want to no kidding. Um, I told him, I was like, I want to mark on every turning point where we hit. So my guys see it and up front, um, in the, in the line formation, cause we're moving out we're going to be moving quick. So, you know, they were up for it and those guys, you couldn't hear. Um, so, uh, we're about three clicks into that seven K walk-in and three clicks and then boom, you know, set of Vipers checks in and they're like, Hey, we're checking in two, two block, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, Hey, all the information still up. Correct. I was like, Hey, I'm going to need you to offset 15 nautical miles um, to the North and hold um, because what we didn't want to do was spook this cat. Um, and uh, so they're like, okay, we'll offset. And I was like, Hey, you know, you start using the TTPs and stuff like that. Things that I learned um, previously, just to keep an eyes on the enemy and keep an eye on us, because like I said, super well-known area of like commanded IDs and, dudes and collats up on top and, and they're watching and things like that. And I'm like, Hey, keep an eye out because if you see someone, let me know because then we might have to change. And, and that's the absolute worst feeling walking in somewhere. And you're just walking past people that are observing you. Like they, they may, they may just be, maybe you're just awake at four o'clock in the morning. My guy, maybe you were out farming at three 30 AM when I happen to be coming to this collat village or, you know, this little compound, yeah. but also maybe you're observing me to for that early warning network. It's a terrible feeling. Oh yeah. And especially because we know like, man, it's unfortunate those cats that hit those IEDs before, man, I saw them after and it was just mangled. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to step on one of these. That's going to suck, you know? Um, and, uh, so we're moving and, um, I get all the marks, everything's as planned. And we get to our last, you know, we're, we're running through like trenches and everything trying to get there. And, uh, we have some other dudes with us too, that were, um, they had some capabilities and just a, triangulate and know that that our target was there so um we get in there and we get to our last uh, our lcc which is the last cover and concealment point and uh you know at that point right before you know i had my i had a uh a vdl device but i mean you're that close you don't want to use it you know what i mean because it's bright you know and even under whatever the case so i had mine put away and i was just talking to the aircraft and make sure everything was you know good to go and um, telling the ground force commander, I'm like, Hey, the, everything's set up. Like they're ready to pounce. Um, and they're giving us an update and they're like, yeah, we got two to three enemy fighters on the rooftop. Appears like they got dogs on the outside and the North, North perimeter. Um, there are, there is some foot traffic on the Eastern portion of the, of, of the target building. Cause the target building itself, um, from your guys' vantage point, I had it split in half. So alpha and Bravo alpha was connected to Bravo basically, um, that we found out, but still around the same walls. Um, and they're like, there is multiple movement in Bravo. Um, alpha one is still good. I'm like, okay. I was like, we're, we're moving. Right. So dudes come up for the breach. Um, and, uh, like I said, my team was really aggressive and they wanted to get after this guy. So, um, literally come up they knock their breach and they start running right in the minute they hit that and started running that room to into the building, the target building, like they'll go, those guys on the rooftop, just, they just got up and started shooting and they just didn't know where we were coming from. So, and we're coming from the South into an alley. Um, and the first building was there. So they come to the gates and those big wrought iron gates that they have and stuff like that. And they busted it to get through. And what happened was there was a, there was a wall just short, of that gate. I'm sorry, just after the gate going eastbound. 
And uh, so we're maneuvering. I'm looking up and I'm telling them, hey, we're troops in contact right off the bat, right? I tell Viper, I'm like, hey, push in. So they push in, come in overhead. And uh, it just happened that I looked down the alleyway and these guys were quick. Like just, there was a dude walking out of a, coming out of a door with something long barreled in his hand. And I was like, oh, snap, son. Oh, no, son. Oh, he's coming to the fight with a llama. I'm about to get out of here, dog. Right. I got to I got to get out of here. He's toting llamas. Shout out TIP. That's who started saying that toting llamas. Anyway, go on. So then I post up and I have this Afghan interpreter with me who was a straight G. Um, and he posts up next to me and we just let him have it. Right. And um, we we're giving it to him. At that point, it was an immediate threat. So it was like, I got to take it out. Everyone else passes us up. I didn't hear the last man or the tap, you know, so didn't feel it because we're getting after it. And then um, dude opens up on his belt fed weapon. And there was a, there was this, there was this cow tied up right there. Uh Shout out to JT article 15, get Jared Taylor on the phone right now. I think I know how this is going. And we have somebody that has some experience here. (laughs) And, And man, that he, we use that thing as straight cover because he bell fed all into that poor cow just getting (laughs) and i was like damn right so then we get after it um we actually neutralized that and the thing is what still shocks me so well you neutralize the cow i don't feel like that's an important part of the story you Uh, oh the threat threat what was the cow the threat you know what never mind i'm sorry to interrupt the the bell fed weapon right and then he had an animal bear that was coming out and he got it too and it still shocks me this day. Like I looked up and those guys were looking for us and they could not figure out where we were at. So at that point I hear on the radio, like, Hey, you know, you know, um, Rob come in the house, Rob come in the house. I'm like, okay. So I tell the interpreter, I'm like, Hey, get in there. I tap him. He goes running. I turn around and basically hold my rifle up. And then I was like, Hey, you're going to cover me. And they're like, yeah, we're covering. So then I just go sprinting in the house. And it was like a, I don't know. 30 meter sprint. And I had never been so fast in my life than I, or, or a skinny. Um, that, and that 18 minute, awesome. three mile at Keesler's paying off baby. Cause here's you and your kit and you gotta, you gotta beat some feet, man. You gotta right. use them getaway sticks. I went heavy too. Um, and, uh, cause I didn't know how long I going to be there. So I, I, I went heavy. And, um, and when you got antennas all over you, man, you're the prime person to get shot. So I come sprinting in and I just hear the, it's, and, you know, it's funny. I I used to watch Black Hawk Down before I joined. I thought it was awesome. Still one of the best movies for me, right? Um, and uh, there's a scene where they're like, "Hey, a, a hiss means it's close. The whiz means they're shooting at you." You know what I mean? When they start talking about it, that's a for me that was a legit thing. <laughs> like, and you're like, "Whoa, they're shooting at me! I got to get out of here." Um, so, beat feet go inside, and I'm just like super thin. And that's when I figured out I was just hey what's going on. And, uh, you know, Ryan, our, our ground force commander had been shot, um, basically butterflied his whole back leg all the way down to his, um, like his Achilles. Oh. And, uh, I was like, damn. Right. So then I was like, okay, well, we have to work a medevac for him. And I already had preset medevac sites, you know what I mean? One to the West, one to the South, one to the East. And we didn't want to go North. So but if we had to, we had one. And I was like, okay, so start working it, start talking to my planes my aircraft and say, Hey, what do you see? And then it was just like, you know, we got guys shooting out the windows. Um, closest third is about maybe 10 meters. If that, you know what I mean? 
maybe 10 meters on a, on a two-story rooftop, just, um, you know, shooting at us. And then across the way, there was another compound and they started shooting RPGs out of walls and stuff like that. And good thing they can't shoot for shit because, you know, those RPGs, they take a, a certain while, you know, before it ignites and before it, it, it turns on and they were a good distance and they were just tagging the walls. They just happened to not like if one would have came through the doorway, all of us screwed. Um, and, uh, um, so, I, I take my position. I start talking to the planes and I'm like, okay, we're going to start working it. I'm like, Hey, I started passing information for, for, um, for Ryan. Um, Cause Hey, we're going to need a, a medevac for him. Here's the status. I'm talking to my buddy, Mike, um, my 18 Delta, um, you know, start working out. Okay. What's our best plan? Um, how are we going to defend this? You know uh, uh, what happened was the, the target itself had basically been an alpha, but he went underneath the, underneath a tunnel and came out bravo so we're like crap we're like oh well, we're gonna exit out the north well unfortunately we went to the north um north side of the building and uh yeah they had bricked the wall up they had, like triple bricked it so you, it from from the from the intel we looked at it looked like an open door we can get out that we could do but when we, they got to they're like we don't have enough to bust this so our only exit is the entrance that we had so solid so go out the way that you came in that the enemy already knows you are they know it's home field advantage they know you can't go out the back they know you're coming out the front so perfect yeah track it worst possible scenario continue so um at that point you know there's a there's a there's there's some there's some training that i went through um previously in my career when i came from milden hall actually um and uh, let all that stuff kind of kicked into place. And, and, and I know you guys are familiar with it too. It's, um, it's the Direct Action Resource Center, Darcy. And nothing but like, where's my cheese is like in my head. You know? And we're just... Absolutely. Running around in some random area. Like, where's my cheese? Where's my yeah. cheese? Where can I get it? Where can I... Like, how the hell am I going to yeah. get out of here, right? And every situation of just like moving from room to room, like, and just keeping composure and doing everything is all coming into place. And uh, man, can I give a shout out my buddy Rich Mason over there, man? He's man. If it wasn't that, it was a leadership course too. And 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 um, and um, you know, I learned a lot from there. How to stay calm, composure when people are shooting at you, and with gas masks and all this other stuff. So it just keeping my composure. Got okay. Like there's multiple dudes shot now, and I'm like, okay, all right, well, let's work this. Um, and uh, you know, I got some dudes like screaming at me, like, hey, you need to put a bomb in there. I'm like, hey, man, you don't understand, like. I can't put a bomb in there. Like if we put a bomb in there, we'll be all dead. They're just like, you need to do something. And I'm like talking to you Ryan. Need to do like, something. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Ryan, what do you want to do? And he's just like, you, you know, he was like, get after him. I'm like, well, uh, and, and as a, as, as the, as the controller attached to them as, you know, being the JTAC, I'm telling him, I was like, Hey man, the only thing they had on, on them right now is that like, for instance, this ISR piece has a, has a, um, He's got a Hellfire missile, but it's got a thermal, it's got a, a thermal barrack like um, warhead to it. It'll literally at that distance, A, frag us, but B, like burn us to death. Like that's not an option. That is too close. I don't recommend it. Um, and I said, we can't do bombs. You know what I mean? And then at that point, he's like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Right. So he does, he has this meeting with the team sergeant. And, uh, so I post up security, right? And the warrant's there. We're doing cross coverage right at the door. I'm shooting at the door. He's shooting up. 
and essentially he's taking rounds. He, he, we're taking impacts on the wall. He has to reload. He's like, I'm out. And then he was jammed. So he busts out. And you know, for us, security's number one. So good for you. You you fill the gap, right? I fill the gap and I'm trying to talk to the Jets and going, hey man, give me an update. Tell me what you see. And they're like, hey, we see multiple. Like there, I was like, give me a count. So what was, you know, what we expected 10 to 12, when he starts going 25, 30, there's 40 dudes. And I'm like, that is not good, you know? And they're just crawling everywhere, coming through the gates. And we're just like, damn. So at that point I, I, I took a risk and I stepped out the, I stepped out the door and tried to slide and look up and try to get a beat on, on who was shooting at us and basically make contact with both those guys. Uh, first guy made contact with Dunn. I didn't see his buddy to the left-hand side, took a shot. He, he took a shot and when it impacted me, it basically shot me through the shoulder and the chest zigzagged around, came out my lower back, broke all my ribs, cracked my scapula, you know, punctured my lung. And man, that was a doozy. Um, cause, uh, that was a doozy. That's the best. I, I gotta be honest with you. That's the best description anybody's ever told me about getting shot. I've heard a couple of people tell me what it's like to get shot. A couple of people I've worked on and no one has ever said that was a doozy. Yeah. So, I mean, the only analogy I could think of really too, is like, if you were to take a baseball bat and swing and hit somebody in the ribs or on the side, but the size of the dude is probably like Mark McGuire in his prime with Balco. And six yeah. and that's what it felt like to get hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just like instant and then, you know, shoot. And then just like this overwhelming, like just, I wouldn't say pain, but controlling like feeling to where I just dropped, like it just dumped me. And I was on my hands and knees. I remember my rifle was slung and I was like, what just happened? Cause I, I've never been really shot like that. Like I've been cracked in the helmet a couple of times when I was with Zach and shot and shot Valley and stuff like that. But I never been hit like this. So I didn't know I had assumed I just took the armpit shot. So I was like, fuck, I'm fucking done. Like, damn, you know? Um, so on my hands and knees and I went to go call Mike, um, my Delta, and I wanted to go, my, but the minute I went like that, it was just like, I couldn't, it was just, I felt just blood coming out my mouth and it was coming out my nose. And I'm like, like time stopped at that point. Cause I was just like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? Like, I can't breathe now. I'm starting to bleed everywhere. I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm screwed. So I was like, you know what? Real talk to, did, did you think that was it? Were you like, yeah. what is, what is it? This is it. Yeah, that I was like, well, if this is how I'm gonna go, it is what it is, you know. Like there's certain things you can turn around from, right? And I was like, well, probably this is probably it. And um, yeah, this uh, you know, you got two options. I could just roll over and just lay there, or you know, I'm gonna do my damn job. Simple, right? See, work, do work. Yep. So I was sitting there and I wasn't sitting there. I was on my hands and knees and I was like, screw this, you know, I'm getting up. So basically like got up on my knees and was just like, you know, yelled Mike as well as I could blood's coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, Mike, yo, I'm hit, you know, and Mike comes literally like peels a corner and comes and grabs me and just like helps me drag inside. And I'm just like telling him, you know, he's like, where are you hit? And I'm just like, I'm trying to talk to him, but at this point I can't even talk. 
because that's when I, like my lung had completely collapsed and the other one was starting to to come out and I was just like, I can't, I can't breathe, you know? So, and I hear all the aircraft trying to, you know, call me and I'm like, I can't, I need the aircraft, the aircraft. And I was pointing my finger in my ear and he was like, you can't breathe. I'm like, no. And he was trying to do a piece. So he wanted to take my whole kid off. I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, I can't hear the aircraft. Um, so, you know, the magic man that he is, um, you know, he pulls out his, his needle decompression equipment, you know what I mean? And just like pulls my kit back. I just felt the finger and he goes, Hey, this is going to hurt. He told me he was, this is going to hurt. Bam. And he just gives it to me. Sounds medic right there. Hey, you're going to feel, you're going to feel a slight discomfort, my guy. Yeah. So then he hits me with it. And I'm just like, Ugh. I, I, it, and that actually it hurt. And I was like, damn. Right. Um, but then he just pulls it out and he goes, tell me if you feel any better. And then it took about 30 seconds roughly 30, 35. And I was like, <sighs> and then I could start breathing. I was like, Oh crap. I'm like, dude, he's like, talk to me, tell me. And I was just like, bro, I'm shot. I don't know. I'm my left side hurts. So opens up my cummerbund. And then, uh, you know, I, I know Mike already for a while. And when Mike's like, when I hear Mike going, Oh shit. I was like, what, what, you know what I mean? And he is just like putting me on my side and just going to work. Um, and he's just stuffing me left and right. Um, and he's like, I can't find your entrance wound right now. He's like, but your main one is he, he put his, you know, got a seal on there and everything and come around back up. And then I get back on the mic. And at that point, um, the Vipers have been checking, calling constantly, constantly. And they thought like, since I was out, um, cause I had another command net going on with the, um, with the fires guy and I can hear their conversations. And, uh, um, and they were pretty close to doing a strike with that that November model, um, uh, AGM 114. And I just called him off. I was like, no, nope. I was like three, fours back up. I was like, I got control. So they're like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. And I'm just like, dude, you not, you were going to smoke us. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, I start working it. And by that point, my Vipers are were getting low on fuel. And I was like, Hey, and at the time we had a certain ROE, right? Um, the ROE was you had to do a show of force, show of force or flare. Then you had to work with you know, guns and then rockets, then bombs. It was an escalation of force. So I was like, Hey man, one and two, I need to show a force. Number two, I need with flares. I was like, yeah, I need you to come as low as possible. I was like, we're in, I, I, I told that by, I was like, we're in a bad spot. And I was like, we're, we're going to get overrun. So man, they came in and, and, uh, that was the loudest show of force that I've ever heard. Cause you know, if you, there's a video still out there and the dudes on the rooftop, those vipers came in so low and so hard. One dude jumps off the rooftop. Like he just jumps. Full afterburner. Yep. And he jumps off. One comes in. Number two comes in with flares. And right when number two pulls off, and he's like, "Hey, two's complete." He's like, "We're both bingo fuel." And I was like, "Oh, crap!" <laughs> my my uh, my intent was to come in, like thinking about it. You know, what I mean, it was to come in with guns, um, with their armament. Um, even though the 20 mic mics were, would have done much, but it's something, you know what I mean? But he's like, Hey, no worries. He's like, hog, uh, hog flights checking in They're five minutes out. And he's like, we're passing everything to them. And I was like, tell them to contact me on this net. I look over, I talked to Ryan, Ryan's kind of, you know, in a, in a tough spot. Um, he's still getting worked on. And I was like, here's our options, man. What do you want to do? I was like, he's like, well, we got to get out of here now. And I was like, okay. He's like, what can you do? And I was like, well, I got A10s just checked in. 
And our best bet, I was like, our best bet is a strafe. And he was like, okay. He's like, what are the options? I'm like, we have no other options. I'm like, they all got big bombs and we can't, we can't do it. I was like, the fracture side is just too high. We're going to get killed. He's like, I was like, I need your initials though. I go, this is danger close. I'm like, this is really danger close. I need your initials. Are you okay with this? And he was like, do the best you got. And he goes, he goes, F it, RVK. And I was like, all right, let's get to work. Right. So I, I, I hold back position where I'm at and trying to hold security. And Mike's just um, basically um, one knee on top of me. And I'm starting to talk to these hogs. And I checked in and I was telling them, I was like, hey, we're going to request a high angle strafe. All eagles are in, are in alpha one. I was like, I'm going to request a southwest and northeast on one. I was like, hey, and I'm going to need shooter, shooter. Um, and uh, they were like, you want shooter, shooter? I'm like, yeah, we're in a, we're in a bad spot. I was like, I got multiple fighters. And he goes, yeah, we see them. We got to count. He's like, and it seems the ISR checked in and says, Hey, there's two vehicles with multiple fighters and trucks coming from the East moving towards your location. And I told Ryan and he was like, get them in faster. So, um, I basically, I tell the hogs, I was like, Hey man, I was like, we, we're going to expo and we're going to head out the South. The entrance we came in, I was like, I need these bad. So, um, number one comes in and he's like, Hey, you know, we, uh, he drops a sparkle. Um, we do a quick match. I, 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 yep, we're good to go. And I'm running through my nine line real quick, which was already pre-done basically. Um, it was just a couple things that were necessary and, you know, closest to friendlies. And he was like, give me that distance. I'm like less than 10 meters. And he came back and he goes, he was like three, four, say again, he's like less than 10 meters. And I was like, yeah, it's like 20 feet, man. I was like, I'm like, they're literally on the rooftop right there. And, um, uh, and he was like, okay. He's like, I need ground force, uh, ground force commander's initials. And I was like, Romeo Victor Kilo. And I was like, let me know, let me know when you're in from the Southwest, man. And, uh, you know, we'll go to, we'll go to work. So, and he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm inbound 18 seconds in the turn. And I was just like, you know, give me a tally target. And, you know, he goes tally target. He goes, I'm visual friendlies. Cause I had one guy with his IR strobe in the window, basically. And I was like, we're all to the west of that. We pushed everyone inside the house to the western portion of the wall. The only person that was at the doorway was me and Mike. And uh, um, he comes in and he's like 10 seconds. And uh, I gave him a clearance. And um, and literally right then and there, I just like was like, man, I didn't ask for a lot. But, you know, if there's one thing I was like, I need to get through this. And, you know, and I'm a man of faith, too. So, um I was like, hey, I need it now. And sure enough, man, he comes in. That was the loudest damn explosion I've ever heard in my life, man. And uh, when those things impacted, like he kind of pseudo hit our building, but it was because of the, I mean, it's an aerial weapon. It's not a, it's not a precision weapon, but when you hear 30 mic mics, you know, being pickled off and it's just impacting, you know, you're just like, like my left eardrum, like went out right there um and uh you know so, Mike, i mean did you guys did you guys make it was it what? <laughs> did you did you live like i'm i'm on the edge of my seat here dude like wh what happened well they come in for the strafe right and i'm telling mike and i'm telling everyone 10 seconds get down you know everybody everybody covered down and I, and I had this conversation with the pilot he's like everyone get down blah 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 and i'm like man we're 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 as, we're in the best spot we could be in so when he comes in from the strafe mike kind of jumps on top of me to kind of cover me and shield me, but I was going to keep my head up because I wanted to see the impacts. 
Um, and we can't help it. Like I want to see impacts, you know what I mean? And it was just like instant, like white flashes, just like, <clears throat> and then my ears and I'm like, you know, the whole ringing, you know, for a while. And like the, the, uh, the blast itself, like shook the hell out of my head. So I was just trying to like shake it off. Like pretty sure. I mean, obviously I got TBI from it, but like now I understand it, you know? Um, and then, uh, um, I just came up on the mic. I was like, Hey, good hits. I was like, number two, same, same direction, same restrictions, you know, let me know when your tally target visual friendly is. And he's like, number two's in, same, boom, and it comes in and strike. And after that, it was like eerie quiet, like eerie quiet, like nothing. So um, with that being said, like everybody got up, you know, Mike helped me up and we're like, hey, we're heading southbound, you know, three, four in the element's going to produce south to, to the um, to Sparrow for an HLZ. Because um, at that point too, I was already calling for the one to the west, but um, the the CSAR element was not American. It was uh, international and they refused to land over there. They're like, it's too hot. We don't have a, we don't have an armed escort. We're not going in there. You got to go to the South. And I was like, damn. Cause I looked at everyone. I was like, we got to go to Sparrow. And they're just like, that's like a, you know, <laughs> a mile away. I'm like, Hey dude, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. So we basically, everybody breached up on the wall and kind of held their composure. And I said, Hey, I need one more for cover. So, um, they came in again with a strike, but it was directly south and north, and they crushed that whole B um, building and crushed it hard. And then the ISR was telling me, hey, when those strikes came in, all the QRF that were coming from the east for them, they all booked out. They all ran off, and they just held. So, Because um, we didn't know that there was a lot of other stuff in that building. So once that thing hit, it covered, you know, and, man, out we walked out. Like, we walked out of that joint. Um went, you know, bypass our LCC and then just kept going. And, um, and, you know, uh, we were kind of paralleling the, their QRF and kind of got into a little bit skirmish with them, but then they kind of just peered off because, um, some Italian Mangustas, um, checked in and, and, uh, those are just old Apaches basically. Um, and we're, we're hovering and stuff like that. And we, man, we just walked it. So we get all the way down, um, to the HLZ site and it's this big field. And, uh, man, my lung drops again. And I was like, damn it. And I was like, Hey Mike, I was like, I can't breathe again. So he puts me up against the, the absolute wall. ridiculousness of this story. Just, you're just like, yeah, my lung kind of collapses again. So I'm like, Mike, it happened again. And Mike's yeah. like, Oh, dude. Okay. I'll be with you in a moment. Air force guys are so needy. Oh, these guys are so needy. This guy's like, Oh, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I just saved everybody's life. Well, the thing is, cause man, I had thought I was just, it was hot. Right. Because Harai was still hot in October. So you thought you were just sweating, but you weren't. You were bleeding all over the cell, weren't you? Fucking arm. Classic. God, fucking these patients, man. The job would be great, honestly, if it wasn't for all the patients. Because they're always bleeding and they're, oh, I'm dying. Yeah, I get it. Oh, come on, man. So um, he he braces me up against the wall. And then the thing is, like, I looked at all our, uh, what left of Afghan force we had. Because a lot of them ran. They just took off. So we had about four of them left. And they were just staring at me. And um uh, I got my back up against this 20 foot wall and he pulls it. Out. I'm like, Oh, not again. And he goes, he goes, don't be a pussy. <laughs> He's like, you already got one. And then bam, he hits me again. But at that point, man, it was like, Oh, thank God. Right. So, and, and the, the, the European, the ISAF counterparts, they wanted like an old school T formation for an HLZ. 
So I had already cracked bundles set up, you know, um, IR ones, because they're only on the, they picked us up on a Super Puma. Only one pilot, only one pilot is on Nas. The other one's not. So um, basically went out, planted it, you know, seven by seven by seven to the T um, uh, and, uh, you know, 21 at the back end for the tail rotor. And I was telling Mike, I'm like, bro, I'm, t- I, I'm like in and out of con. I'm like, dude. And he just kind of sat me down and I was starting to free. Like I was frozen, like inside I was just freezing. So he gives me a space blanket, kind of whole security for me. And then finally they come in. Well, these, these dudes land in this open, they land in the compound just to the east of us. And they come up and then they're like, Hey, we're ready for load. I'm like, you just landed in a un unsecured HLZ. I built it for you. And they're like, come to us. I'm like, nah, screw you. Come to us, man. You got a helicopter. You know what I mean? We it's unsecure and we got to take that compound before we can go. So they're like, oh, it's unsecure. So then they take off, they do a, a racetrack and then they come in and land. And at that point, um, the rest of the ODA, um, um, cause there wasn't enough room on the helicopter. So we had our wounded, we had a couple Afghans wounded, we had Ryan, we had Mike, and then the other Delta um, with us. And then at that point, man, I brought him in, landed him, got up, Mike helped me. And then we walk over and then I, I basically ha- I did a quick handover with the um, the A-10s that checked in and, and took over. I say, hey, these guys need an armed escort all the way back to this point where um, essentially they had built a, uh, um, a corridor for us, um, for them. And they had about two clicks to run through. And uh, uh, essentially the A-10s basically hovered on station and I switched the channel to them and gave it to them. I still monitor it, but I get team net. And then they, they guided those guys all the way back to get to their corridor, to get to their vehicles. And then I was the last guy on board um, and uh, basically crawled my way in on those super pumas. They had like litters and two guys were in the litters. And I just kind of like sat there and just got on board with Mike and he was like, stay awake. And I'm like, what? And he's he like, stay awake, you know? Um, Cause this whole time I'd walk and I was like super thirsty and I was like, I'm thirsty, Mike. And I just want some water. And he's like, nope, can't eat water. I felt like I had a, a gallon of water in my stomach. Yeah. You know, blood. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you what, and that's the, that's the scariest time, uh, being on that helicopter when, uh, like I've seen it every single time, anytime that I'm on there with young team members, the second that we get on that helicopter and somebody is safe and we take off away from where they are, you watch patients just absolutely crump. They're just like, they, they kind of, you know, you were walking, you were in the fight, you were worried about stuff. You know, the fact that you had this 18 Delta, whoever Mike, your 18 Delta is, deserves all the credit in the world because it's obvious he knows, you know, not only for giving you the medical treatment that you needed that arguably saved your life, but you know, the fact that he's like, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Don't get too comfortable, you know, stay in the fight until we get where we're going. Cause that's when it happens. That's you, you get a guy on the helicopter and you take off and you watch that guy. Just, he's like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to take a little nap. And sometimes they don't wake up. So. Yeah. The, the, um, the thing with that was though, um, that the the Italians wanted to do like this big triage and kind of like stabilize everybody. And, and Mike was in there. He's like, we need to get the, we need to get the F out of here. He's like, there's a hot LZ. He's like, we got to go. And they were like, Oh, it's hot. And next thing you know, we're taking off, you know, and it was like a five minute flight to, to Herat. And it was like a, a level one trauma. So they didn't have much. Um, but I remember like coming in and out and I just see Mike, like, wake up, wake up, you know, wake up. And I was just like, losing it you know what i mean at that point um and uh i remember uh at that point uh i don't remember like landing but i remember like staying awake like and you know being transferred to a litter 
and then going into the center and then doing all their work. Um, and then uh, I just like passed out at that point because the next time I woke up was um, in Herat, but um, they had a uh, the J-Mount bird come get me. Um, so big props to the STS and the stock and everything using that bird to come get me. Um, and essentially like I, I, you know, I was more at, at ease because I was in and out of consciousness, but only when I was hurting. So for instance, like they had a, a Lithuanian hand surgeon who was working on me. And, uh, so I got three scars on my chest because this, I decided to give me chest tubes and miss every single one, except the last one. Um, and, uh, like each one woke me up and I tried to, <laughs> I try maybe try to give me the old right hand. You know what I mean? They were trying to embrace me and stuff like that. Um, cause it sucks. Um, and no meds. I didn't take any, I didn't take any morphine or nothing, nothing the whole time. So, um, this, this American surgeon, he's like, Hey, my name is you're, you're a better man than I am. I already had some ketamine this morning. I just, you know, just to wake up, but for legal reasons, everybody, we, this is, we a know joke. you're a PJ. It's a joke. Know. It's a joke. For legal reasons, everybody, this is a joke. Yeah. A, yeah. That was something I had pre-done with Mike. I said, Hey, if I'm bad, don't give me meds because then I can't control like I'm done. So that was already a preset thing we had already in place. So he just didn't offer it to me. Um, and then, uh, and then the next thing you know, I'm being loaded on this 130, and you know, off to Bagram we go. You know, um, and then I got you know in and out of consciousness here and there. You know what I mean, or whatever the case. And then the travel back to Launchstool, and then all the way to Walter Reed and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was a the, the the only thing that that I not the only thing like. A, a real thing is, uh, you know, the whole reason we exist and the whole model of never quitting is for a reason. And it's for that kind of type of thing. You know what I mean? And it applies to like a lot of things in life in general too, you know? Um, and if you have the fortitude that you will, you can build it too, I think, I believe, um, you just have to believe yourself. And I think, I think that's where we're going to wrap this up. I think we're going to set up part two. Uh, cause we usually, we go about an hour on these things and this has gone a little long. So Rob is, as long as you're okay with it, I think we're going to set up another, another time to leave it on this cliffhanger of Rob survived what happens after this and all everything else. Um, but I think we, we learned a lot here today about, about training and, and the, uh, the mindset it takes to get through that and why everything is so important, obviously seen through the lens of, uh, of your experiences. Um, so, um, if you, uh, you have any uh, shout outs or any way that people can get a hold of you so uh, they can look forward to part two. Uh, for me, um, man, you know, uh, a couple of shout outs real quick is um, um, my buddy, Kevin Edgerton at, at 18 Alpha Fitness. That guy helped me out, especially in my in my recovery. Once I got to Texas, um, that guy does amazing work. Um, and, uh, you know, um, also um, just the organization that's always supported me. Um, uh, guys like Peach, man, like, you know, they believed in me, even though they probably doubted sometimes like, man, I think this guy's not going to make it, you know, but you know, uh, but, uh, and those guys taught me so much, like peach, like I said, SI, um, Nick and all those cats, they, they believed in me and prepared me for what I had to, you know, I don't, you don't know where you're going to run into. Um, and I was just happy to, to execute, you know, cause it's, it's their work. It's all their hard work and effort they put in. Um, and I just put it into fruition, you know what I mean? I just executed what they taught me. So it's a huge, um, peace and, and blessing to have them. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm up for another one. Easy day. Um, so you just we just want like, to talk pipeline stuff and all that other nerdery, but this one was so good. Just straight up war stories that I yeah. hate to, I hate to involve pipeline in the, in the fun part of it. So we'll bring you back on as your, 
yeah. as your uh you, you can talk about pipeline changes and i really want to i really want to pick your brain too because with your extensive experience and you you were in it you know the old way and now you're part of that that new breed you know working at jbsa and we're you know moving towards the future whatever that looks like i think you have a lot of great input as far as that goes but man i just i want to say thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing your story about what happened that that's just an absolutely insane story anytime i've i've heard it and obviously i've heard it from you before so you know, it was nothing, it was nothing new that I heard here, but it still is, you know, one of those humbling experiences because that's what people out there want to do. They want to be, you know, maybe, maybe not get shot, maybe not be on, you know, more than one medal of honor, silver star mission. I think maybe that might not be the goal, but the goal is to do what you did, which is answer the call. You right. know, we, we have a job to do and we have some things that we need to get after. And, you know, it's a, it's a testament to, you know, not only the people that brought you up and the entire team, but it's a testament to what we are in these career fields. You know, when it's, when it's time to go to work, you got to go to work. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately you don't feel like going to work. Sometimes you, you'd rather sleep in, or sometimes you get shot in the chest. Either way, we still have a job to do and we still have to press forward and get it done. And, you know, you're the epitome of that. So Goot from us to you, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys. You guys do some great work. And then, uh, I know you guys are giving good information to those candidates and, you know, all those candidates out there, man. I mean, it, man, I was a nobody. I was literally a nobody, you know? And now, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be a, a chief in the Air Force too. And I feel finally like I'm somebody, you know what I mean? Um, that can help. So, you know, it, it is what it is. You just, you just can't quit. You just got to want it more. That's all it is. So. Awesome. Well, hey guys, in uh, in part two, we're gonna wrap all this together and uh, take it from there. and how it all fits together and the, the plan for the future. So, Rob, once again, thanks for coming out. Uh, make sure everybody heads out to onesreddit.com and Apple Podcasts and everywhere else and give us those five star reviews. Let us know how we're doing and to make sure you uh, let Aaron know that it's a hair piece and it's not real hair and uh, we, <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. So, uh, until next time, train hard, earn each breath, and uh, we'll catch you later. Later. later.